The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM. Good evening, folks. You're very welcome along to The Big Red Bench. We're here with you until 7 o'clock. Coming up on today's show, it's been a very, very sad day for all of us involved in um, Cork Sports Media, um, Cork Sports Broadcasting, with the, the passing of a legend, Paddy Palmer, passed away earlier on today, a man known for his incredible knowledge and passion for all things Gaelic games and just a number of other sports aside as well. Um, an incredible commentator and a very, very kind and generous man with his time. We'll be talking to Ger McCarthy about the passing of Paddy Palmer today. Ger uh, and Paddy spent uh, many, many games on, on sidelines with each other over the last couple of decades and uh, we'll be talking to Ger about Paddy's passing about what kind of person Paddy was and all that uh, and plenty more as well so you're listening to The Bigger Bench on Corksville FM Yeah it's just look it's it's been a very very sad day as I mentioned um, it's hard to put into words I suppose I mean like we all knew Paddy Palmer Palmer, Palmer I can't even speak we all knew Paddy Palmer's voice and we all knew his his just incredible commentaries on match days and his passing today has just left everyone stunned and very very saddened it's 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 hard to put into words I suppose um just hard to put into words everything pretty much I'm not doing a very very good job of it so I'm just going to let George do that instead um we're going to talk to Jer McCarthy he's going to join us on the line in just a couple of seconds um first off the tallest to Michal Martin uh, was in court today um, he paid tribute um, to Paddy um, just a Cork legend Cork broadcasting legend even though he was from Kerry we'll let that go though um, he passed away this morning in Cork University Hospital he was injured in a road traffic collision on December 30th he was an authority in Gaelic Games in the county uh, a multitude of other sports as well as I mentioned and commentated on, commentated on games with uh, passion knowledge wit and charm on C103 for over 30 years he really was the voice of GA and Cork. Now we're going to speak to the Big Red Bench's own Jeremy McCarthy shortly, as I mentioned, about the passing of Paddy Palmer. First, the Tanish to me, Hull Martin, paying tribute to a Cork sporting icon. Devastated to news in the sense that Paddy's been part of all our lives um, for, for, for many, many years now, particularly those of us involved in, in sport and in Gaelic games and... Uh, we, we kind of relished every word he said. He came from a deep background himself in, 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 in Gaelic sports. He, he understood it uh, instinctively uh, and he had the respect of all those in, in involved in Gaelic games in particular and in the world of sport more generally because he had wonderful insights uh, into the game. Uh, and we will miss him, miss him greatly because um, he was such a distinctive voice, uh, particularly through radio uh, and, and, and through newsprint and the, and, and the echo and so on in these various columns and these articles. We all look forward uh, to, to reading them and also to get his insights on the intercounty scene and indeed on the club scene um, here in Cork as well. Um, and um, and uh, he always had the capacity to create debate, to create. Um, issues and so forth around the sport um, and I think people in, 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 in sport in general will mourn his passing uh, and, and it's, it's, it's to his family in particular with our hearts go to them uh, in, in terms of, of, of Paddy's loss and, and the enormous loss to them but to the wider um, sporting community in Cork and across the country uh, this is a huge loss. The Tonisha there, Michal Martin, with some lovely words there for our friend and colleague, Paddy Palmer, who uh, passed away. So, um, 
tragically um, this morning. Um, for more on it, I'm uh, joined by a man who soldier reportedly in press boxes and on sidelines around the county, our very own Ger McCarthy. Ger, first off, my condolences. Sorry, no, Paddy was a good friend of yours, so thanks for talking to him about uh, talking to us about him. Um, it's just devastating news, and I can't get my head around it, Ger. To be perfectly honest. Yeah, Rory, it's 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 a very difficult day for um for the county, for people inside and outside the county bounds that were lucky enough to know Paddy Palmer. Um I've mentioned in a couple of social media posts, he really was the voice of my generation and a lot of other people's generations on the radio. Um just a lovely, lovely human being, um, an absolute rogue, um, insofar as, you know, there was always mischief afoot when he was about. Um you always had good fun with him, but he 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 would be remembered. Um, as one of the most important media figures in Cartier history and I don't think I'm pushing that point too far because his coverage, his passion um, and his insight and his professionalism when it came to bringing the GA specifically LGFA and Camogie as well into the kitchens of people living in the most rural parts of this county from north, south, east and west everybody knew Paddy Palmer's voice everybody gravitated towards him because of the kind of person that he was just a lovely, lovely, honest, good human being, but above all, uh, above all else, um, a very, very genuine and a good friend to me. And I'm not the only person who would have shared sidelines with him down through the years, last 20 years, believe it or not, um, at matches where he always had a helping hand. He did, he'd lead, he'd lead, lend a helping hand. He'd a good, always with a piece of advice. And he was a, a really good mentor to me in the early days when I was as green as green could be. Helped me out of a few sticky situations, got me into a few <laughs> sticky situations, and laughed about it. But um, like you said, it's it's incredibly difficult to think that I'll never go to another match and he won't be there. Um, very very hard to get my head around that. But like yourself and everybody in Red FM and everybody in the media community, which is quite small, and we all know one yeah. another. I think our condolences go to his immediate family and, and his close friends and. Uh, his work colleagues because it, it, whatever loss we feel there's a, there's is incredibly a, a lot of more unfortunately and as I said in another social media post he really was uh, one in a million and he would be greatly missed yeah the voice of Cork GA I think I described him as this morning that's completely accurate the passion that he brought to commentaries um, on the radio was just something else and he did it all with a charm and a wit that's uh, very very rare and hard to find I think, yeah, and I, that, that's a very good summation of him and his character. The thing I've, I've mentioned as well, and I've always marveled at from day one, Paddy's ability when he was talking on the radio or speaking or re- recapping a match, no matter where you were, no matter who you were, you felt like he was talking to you. You felt that when you'd see him on the sideline. I saw people, complete strangers, come towards him and, and want to talk to him, want to engage with him and talk about something he'd said or tell them about a cousin somewhere on the other side of the world because he had that charm and that very self-deprecating you know, manner about him. He was just such a lovely, lovely person. Um, he was also a complete rogue and I think I have to say that and I know he would want me to say that because on the sidelines, um, it's quite a difficult job, believe it or not, when there's a match on, you're trying to take in everything that's happening, every substitution, every score. He'd be the guy poking in the back of the back and the shoulder, making a joke about somebody behind you, knowing full well you were trying to watch what was happening and then laughing when you missed a point and had to go and ask somebody about it while he wrote it down. <laughs> that that was another side to him. He was just, uh, there was always good crack with party, always good laugh, but the consummate pro and uh, the consummate professional because, Rory, I've seen that man, say, like he'd sit down after a match on a bench, he'd take the call from the radio station and then effortlessly 
beautifully and without any mistakes in one take he would recap a match from top, from top to bottom entirely throw in that wit and charm that he was synonymous with um, day, weekend after weekend game after game no matter where he went in the county he was known no matter where he went in the county people knew his voice and no matter where he went in the county and outside the county up in Crow Park especially he was admired he was uh, loved by so many so many people um, and you can see that in the outpouring on social media and in the newspapers over the coming days as well just what a one-off he was um, and it's hard to talk about him in the past tense when you know he was such a good friend because um, it was only the week before unfortunately that uh, we got news that he was in hospital um, I was lucky enough to um, meet him uh, in the Celtic Ross Hotel down in Ross Carby for some award ceremonies that I'm involved with there with him um, normally I might see him once or twice before Christmas but on this occasion just two or three weeks in a row and he was, a, he was just typical body. He was, for his age, he was incredibly fit. He was in such good health. He was in such good form. And uh, our last meeting, I'll, I'll always remember because we left one another at the, at the door of the hotel saying, look, we'll be, we're sick of the sight of each other now at this stage. <laughs> but we'll see each other soon enough, probably the first week of January. And he was going, what's on the first week of January? And I said, Cork and Kerry in back And he was going, oh, Jesus, I'll, I'll talk to you. No doubt I'll see you before then. Good luck. Um and off he went and look as I said uh, it, it's hard to believe that we won't I won't get to see him again I won't get to hear him again I won't get to talk to him again like so many people um, he touched so many lives and as you mentioned correctly as well his passion for the GAA shone through every time he put a microphone to his mouth because he loved it and people loved him the way he talked about it and some of his commentary is, is legendary um, down through the years. He had a lovely kind of polite way of saying if there was a fight breaking out in a match, he'd say there's a bit of a disagreement going on in the square. We'll keep you posted you know, and carry on talking about something else. But um, I'll, I'll remember him, like I said, I'll never go to another match. I'll never go to an award ceremony. I'll never go anywhere where there's people or microphones or cameras where I won't think of him and where I won't remember him. And uh he was and, and, and will always be um, one of the county's greatest, uh, one of the county's greatest, you know, most passionate voices of, of GAA in particular, but also ladies football and also Camogie and other sports as well. He took a keen interest in all sports and tried to get as much of the information out there as he possibly could. He used social media brilliantly. His Facebook, his, I, I kept giving out to him about his number of followers that I was never going to get anywhere near <laughs> as time went on. And, that says more to his ability to speak to different generations as well, Rory. I mean, the older generation in this county um, would have grown up with him and listening to him and have always looked out for him. But even the younger generation, it's amazing the number of younger people, uh, even not necessarily listening to the radio, but through social media, that knew who he was and loved him uh, for the way he spoke. And I know his work colleagues and I know his immediate family have lost, you know, something far, far greater than we have in the, in the media core. But... As I said, look, it, it's hard to believe he's gone. It's mm. difficult to process it. But we're left with um, a lifetime of memories of uh, fun, of laughter, of charm, of wit, one-liners one and zingers to put you on your, put you on your ass. Um, but above all, uh, an incredible warmth and charm that made you want to be his friend. Mm. And if I could just add... I've been fortunate enough to write a couple of books, scribble them down and eventually get them out into print um, in my lifetime and there was only one person really that I could ask to come and help launch both of those books um, and that was him and Paddy and he, he he would love occasions like that with a crowd where he had me as a target and plenty of jokes at my expense <laughs> but he was the consummate pro and I've learned so much from listening to him I learned so much from watching him 
I admired and marveled at the way he dealt with people, young and old, his charm, his wit, and his just self-effacing manner. Um, you know, we're not going to see somebody like him ever, ever again. You touched on it earlier, Joe, as well. It was something that kind of stood out to me, um, was his kindness to, I suppose, rookie journalists coming through the, the ranks in the press corps. Um, Jim Horgan, whose fourth anniversary occurs this weekend, was similar, uh, and uh, Pat McAuliffe, who we've also lost yeah. in recent years, was very similar in that, and they were always quick with helping, with advice, uh, and to help out the, the young rookie journalists. And I suppose Polly was absolutely no exception. No, um, he wasn't, and he took he took great interest in in seeing people. He didn't see anyone necessarily as a threat. Why would he? He was so popular. <laughs> um, but he always liked to see new people on the sideline, both men and and women, and male and female, you know, media journalists and and, and people involved in the radio. And he always had, as you said, he always made time for them. And I I, I got a text this morning from a friend of mine, Sinead Crowley, down here in Clonakilty, um, that I wasn't expecting, and. She just sent me a text saying that she, I'm reminiscing in my head over the many chats and giggles I had with Paddy down through the years and I've just remembered something he sent on to me many years ago to watch out for a great young reporter mm. from Clannacilty who was coming through the ranks and that he, he thought he was going to be brilliant and um, I didn't know that and uh, anytime, anytime I needed a helping hand if I was willing to you know, put up with five minutes of one-liners and jokes and stories about people I had no idea <laughs> of. Um, he'd eventually get there and give you the give you the advice and back you up and look out for you. Always looking out for you. And um, his ability to commentate, his ability to, I suppose the thing, Rory, and we know you know better than I do in this business. When you're on the radio, it's live, and you've got to be on on the ball. You can't really make mistakes or too many of them, and you've got to know your stuff. Party's knowledge yeah. of Kerry and Cork football, ladies football, Camogie was unbelievable. His knowledge, his contacts in, in clubs in the most obscure places that I'd, I'd not even heard of down in Kerry, everybody knew him and he knew somebody everywhere that could help him out if he was looking for information. And, you know, he, that, that was built up over 30 years. That didn't happen overnight. And what I loved also about him, I suppose, more than anything, people talk about his passion for sport, his passion for the GA and his ability to, to put that across on the radio is Paddy's first love was people. He just absolutely loved meeting people, finding out where they were from, telling them he knew somebody from there from about a hundred years ago, talking and, and connecting with them. And then the beauty of what Paddy did was he made you feel special every time you spoke to him. And I've been on sidelines even this past season when he was there a good few times next to me on the sideline when I was working for, for the big red bench. Um, the amount of people that would come up from to the fence and try to talk to him and even, you know, make conversation. And one, one sticks out. I won't say what the game was for obvious reasons, though, but um, a woman came up to him on a couple of occasions and started telling him a story about her sister who was out foreign and probably listened and took a few notes even and engaged with the woman and turned around to me and said, do you know that woman? And I said, no, I don't. He says, I don't either. Come on, we'll move down here a bit further. <laughs> But he would, he would still engage with that person. He loved talking to people, engaging with them. And the thing is, Rory, he could make you feel special. And it's amazing the amount of people, the, the tweets I've read, the social media posts on Facebook and Instagram, even today now, the number of people that are talking about him as if he was their best friend. Yeah. Because that's what he felt like. And when he was on the radio, I don't know how he did it, because I can't do it, and I won't ever be able to do it. When he spoke, you felt like he was talking to you. 
And that is an art form. It is a gift that the one person sitting in the most remote rural areas of West Cork, East Cork, North Cork, South Cork, wherever, when he was on the radio, it filled up the kitchen. It, it, bright, it brightened people's lives because Paddy was on the airwaves. And the number of people, again, that refer to him as Paddy, not Paddy Palmer, Paddy, the first name basis, even though they might not, they'd only meet him fleetingly at a match two or three times in a year. His charm, his professionalism, his warmth, his wit, and his genuine interest in meeting and dealing with people. I know that from his job as well at school, in the school where he worked, how much, how respected he was and how loved he was by so many people. Um, it's, it's hard to fathom that he's gone. It's, it's incredibly difficult to try. I'm, I'm trying to articulate what he meant, not to me, but to everybody that I know. Um, Cork GA and Kerry GA have lost, you know, a real warrior for them. Somebody that, that pushed their sport and, and loved their sport and was passionate about it, as well as camogie, as well as ladies football, and as well as a lot of other sports. Um, there are very few people who can cover that wide gamut of, 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 sporting subject matters and have the knowledge to back it up and the people on the inside to talk to and get the information from. He was unbelievable and he worked extremely hard. That's another thing I, I would like to get across to people today. Paddy worked extremely, extremely hard at his craft. You know, it took him a long time, even though he started commentating on school games and gravitated eventually progressed to inter-county games, you know, for C103 and 96. He, he was always you know, his, his workload before games and after games for somebody of his age as well. He was in such good shape and such good health but the last time I saw him, which makes it all the harder to accept that he's now gone. Um, but look, there's a saying that don't cry because it's over. Be thankful that you were there part of the journey. I think a lot of people today are crying tears because they'll never get to see one of their great friends again. Well, what it says to them is when you're crying those tears, do what I do and that's tap into the happy memories, the many, many happy memories and just be glad and be thankful that you, whoever you were, even if you were not a cousin or a friend or a relation or a colleague, but you might've met him somewhere down in the past, just be thankful and be happy that you got to know this guy and were part of his life, even for a very small, brief time. And it might help you get through um, what's going to be a very difficult uh, few days and weeks. It's a beautifully put, Ger. Um Thanks for coming on to us. I know it's not easy to talk about Polly today, but um, it's hard to, to lose a colleague and, and, and a friend, and you know how small the, the Cork media pool is, and in particular the Cork bro- sports broadcasting pool is. So the death of Polly's kind of hit us all very, very hard today, but particularly you who, as I say, soldiered with him for, for so long on, on the sidelines and, uh, and the press boxes, and he's going to be very, very sorely missed uh, indeed. Ger, thanks very much for coming on to him. Thanks, Roy. Yeah, look, that's thanks to thanks to Jura first off there for talking to us uh, about Paddy Palmer. As I said, it's just so sad, so sad um, to hear about Paddy's passing today. Um, our sincere, sincere condolences to his wife Colette, his his children Claire and Emily, and his grandson Lucas Podrick, to all his family and friends, and to his colleagues at C103. As I mentioned there in the chat as well with Jur, we lost Jim Horgan four years ago. We lost Pat McAuliffe in the last number of years as well to other sports broadcasting legends, and certainly not far from my thoughts today after hearing about Paddy's passing. And we've lost three Cork sports broadcasting icons, um, but. It's just an incredibly sad day today on the passing of, as Jar mentioned there, the man with one name, Paddy. Rest in peace, Paddy Palmer. You will be sorely missed, my friend. Um, I'm just going to take a quick break to gather my thoughts. Uh, we'll be back. The Big Red Bench. Game on.
Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. Rory here with you on the Big Red Bench on Cork's Red FM. Um, if you missed uh, any part of my chat there with John McCarthy on the, the passing of the legendary Paulie Palmer, we will have our podcast online shortly after the show. You can get that on redfm.ie or from wherever you get your podcasts. We are just going to recap today's um, uh, sporting action and just uh, an update from uh, Manchester City and Chelsea. Game's almost up there, but City have a fourth goal. Joe Rawson. Manchester City 4, Chelsea nil. icing on the cake for the Premier League champions who are comfortably going to progress into the fourth round of the FA Cup. Rian Mores getting his second of the game, this time from the penalty spot after Phil Foden was fouled in the box by Koulibaly. Mores took the spot kick and fired it into the roof of the net. No chance for Kepa Arisa Belaga uh, in keeping it out. It's Manchester City 4, Chelsea nil. Elsewhere, Aston Villa look like they are going out of the cup. Uh, traumatic scenes here. They were 1 0 up and cruising against Stevenage. Stevenage, though, with two late goals, a penalty after 88 minutes, and uh, uh, time added on. Sees so uh, the scoreline Aston Villa 1. Stevenage 2 is how it stands there into time added on. Um, Villa had a man sent off as well, so they're down to 10. Uh, but it looks like that's going to be a big upset there uh, just to recap all the other scores today as well I finished Bristol City 1 Swansea City 1 Bar- Derby County 3 Barnsley 0 Leeds United needed a late, go- a late goal against Cardiff City to force uh, a 2 all draw um, to, to keep their place in the cup uh, Leeds boss uh, Jesse Marsh says he had mixed emotions at the end proud of our team for, for fighting back and, and believing that they could figure out a way to, to equalise or, or get themselves back in the match and obviously a little frustrated that we had such a bad start. Elsewhere today in the FA Cup, uh, third round uh, results from this afternoon. Stoke City had a 3-0 win away to Hartlepool United. Uh, Blackburn Rovers had a 1-0 win away to Norwich. Walsall winning 2-1 away to Stockport County. The draw for the fourth round has been made among the ties. The holders Liverpool will face Brighton away should they get the better of Wolves in their replay. Manchester United are home to Reading with City or Chelsea. Well, that's going to be City, basically. Obviously playing the winners of the Oxford-Arsenal match uh, tomorrow night. Uh, Preston have been paired with Tottenham 1, so I was looking out for as uh, Wrexham. They had a fantastic win yesterday, knocking out um, Coventry City uh, 4-3 in an absolute thriller. Um, been keeping an eye out for Wrexham ever since I watched uh, Welcome to Wrexham on Disney+. Plus. Um, so we keeping an eye out for their scores, and they've got a, a, a good draw as well. They're at home to Sheffield United in round four and after beating Coventry away yesterday they'll have uh, no fear of whoever uh, comes uh, to their ground so yeah Wrexham against Sheffield United so the draw in full Preston Tottenham Southampton versus Blackpool Wrexham versus Sheffield United Manchester United versus Reading Stoke City versus Aston Villa uh, Walsall versus Leicester City Manchester City versus Oxford or Arsenal Fulham versus Sunderland and Wolves Brighton versus uh, Fulham versus Sunderland excuse me Brighton versus Liverpool or Wolves and it'll be Derby versus West Ham uh, Hibs surviving a second half fight back from Motherwell's win 3-2 in the Scottish Premiership game at Fir Park today 
elsewhere today and in Gaelic games in the Co-op Superstores today Munster Hurling League Group A finished to Brer 2.22 Clare 20 points in the McGrath Cup it finished Kerry 14 points Clare 13 points uh, that was in Group A and Group B was Tipperary 2.14 Waterford not 7 elsewhere today Kilmacrod croaks through to the All-Ireland Club Senior Football Championship Final the Dublin side who were finalists 12 months ago saw off Kerry's Karen's O'Reilly's 1.14 points at Croke Park going to have reaction from that guy coming up in just uh, a little bit elsewhere it was uh, Derry side uh, Glen of Derry uh, have beaten Galway's Mike Cullen by two points in the second semi-final Ashton O'Reilly was watching it it's full time here in Crow Park and it's Glen who march on to the All-Ireland final Glen 1-11 Mike Cullen 12 points they led by two points at the break the Derry men had a really good start to the game they led by four points to no score until the 18th minute before Mike Cullen got two frees from Desi Keneally to bring them to life Glenn started the second half the strongest with wing-back Tiernan Flanagan finding the back of the net through a well-worked team goal. 43 minutes gone, Moy Cullen midfielder Peter Cook kicked a brilliant score that was quickly cancelled out down the other end from Glenn's Connor Glass with a huge score to put four between them. Desi Keneally, who has been brilliant from place balls, kicking eight points. He did have a chance from a free to bring it back to a one-point game, but it crept to the left and wide. Mike Cullen had a chance from a free in the final kick of the game to go for goal, but it was well cleared. And it's Glenn of Derry who will now meet Kilmaco Croaks in the All-Ireland Club final in two weeks' time. The full-time score, Mike Cullen, 12 points, Glenn, one eleven. Now, the Willie Mullins trained champ Kylie has won the Grade 1 Lawler's Novice Hurdle at Nace. Danny Mullins was on board the seven-year-old who came home ahead of Irish Point and Dawn Rising. Uh, finally, NFL star Damara Hamlin has thanked his fans for their overwhelming love in his first social media post since suffering a cardiac arrest during a game last week. The 24-year-old says he's on a long road to recovering. The Buffalo Bills have given a medical update saying he's uh, making continued progress but he remains in a critical condition. Uh, finally, basketball, uh, UCC Demons were dramatic 76 74 winners over Titans at Neptune Stadium to reach the insuremyhouse.ie under 20 men's national cup final. They'll play Tolka Rovers after the Dublin club defeated Murray 89-81 at Parochial Hall earlier on this afternoon. Alright, we're going to go back uh, to Croke Park briefly. Uh, going to hear from uh, Karen's O'Reilly's, their manager is William Harmon after their loss to Kilmacrug Croaks in that uh, senior football championship semi-final earlier on today. William Hard look out there, disappointing in the end, but it was a game that went right to the wire, just a goal in it in the end, and it could have went either way when it went right down to it. And yeah. David Moran got a fist, and you probably thought it could have been going in. Yeah, 100%, I suppose. When I think Jack got the free from the wing, we just said, you know, Dermot, David, everybody get into the square and see what happens. But it was just, you know, it was a great flick on, actually. And I think it was a great uh, block on the line. But um, look, it's something that you didn't win. Um, but we're, look, we're delighted with how we performed. There's one or two aspects we all things could have went a bit better for us in the third quarter but look we're trying to be performed and we're just unlucky that you know we didn't make it I suppose the extra step really do you know Eshling you know yeah you had a really good start it was about seven minutes gone before Kilmock had actually registered there for a score so you would have been very happy with that 100% Eshling would be very honest with you I suppose our aim was to try and keep the game as tight for as long as possible so that maybe if we get to half time hope we didn't you know we can probably push on the second half I just thought that third quarter especially when they got that goal and I think it was kind of out of nothing it gave them that small bit of buffer and probably allowed them to play their game a bit more and um, Brett can't fault the lads I thought there was an exceptional effort and that 
four quarters. I thought we dominate the last four quarters. And just if it's a bit of luck, you never know. We could be still outside playing a small bit of extra time. But look, I, I just want to wish Kim McCoy the very best of luck going forward. They're a fine side, but uh, I can't be more proud of our group as well, you know? Yeah, and what a group of players you have. David Moore in particular there, especially throughout the whole game. He's so influential, but in that first half, some of the balls he clean catched, you know, from the kickouts in midfield, you know, it's, he's doing what he does best, really. Oh my God, I'd say all supporters are in awe of David Moore, and, you know, in Crow Park and the biggest stage, you know, to, uh, some of the feeling was unbelievable. Um, but David's a good guy, a good person. Along with Tommy and Barry John Keane and Jack Savage and Ross Gallen, they're just a great group, a great group. So, um, yeah, David is just a joy to work with. I'm absolutely delighted that I got the opportunity to work with the likes of David Moore because he's a good person and um, yeah I'm just delighted he played well today uh, just unfortunately we couldn't get him over the line to get him to an Iron final I know it's disappointing but what a year that you've had you know how do you reflect on it you know winning the, the Kerry Championship I think it was first time in 12 years first Munster title ever you know so there's a lot of positives there I know it's quite hard now maybe to think of all that but you know it is a lot to celebrate 100% actually I think when people sit down in a few months time and just reflect on what we've achieved. And it's particular of all the, the challenges we'd overcome. We we lost a, div, a Division 1 final, a heavy joint to Stingle. We lost a county final to Austin Stacks. To come back and to show that resolve and resilience has been fantastic. To win a club championship, first time in 12 years, and bring some silverware back to the club. To win a first Munster championship. I think when people look back and reflect, they'll go, do you know what, that, that was a good year. That was a good year. And I think it's hard now to probably think about that. But I think, um, you know, we would love to get to an Iron final. It just wasn't to be. But I think when looking back at I think it was a good year for Conjure Alleys. Yeah, that's William Harmon there of Cairns O'Reilly's after that uh, defeat to Kilmacrug Crooks. Going to hear from the Dublin side, their manager is Robbie Brennan. Robbie, it was a nerve-wracking finish in the end, but you got over the line, you're true to the All-Ireland final, back where you want to be. How does it feel? Yeah, I suppose relief is is, 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 is the main feeling there, actually. It was a, a tight one coming towards the end there again for us, and we seem to find ourselves in those situations, which is something for us to work on. But look, as I said, coming out of here in February, it was... Uh, hard to think we'd even get back here so it's uh, it's a nice feeling at the same time yeah there was three points in it last kick of the game it was a free a drop short David Warren got a fist to it and it was just about cleared off the line and I suppose there was probably a bit of deja vu from Kilku last year did that come to mind yeah certainly that's what I was thinking and uh, even the Dublin final was similar there was there was traits of that as well and and to be fair I, you know Giving out of the ref a little bit, but you know, I think they could have had a couple of couple of penalty opportunities coming towards the death as well. So uh, we rode our luck a little bit, and, and thankfully we came out the right side. And is that a concern for you? Like, is that something that you're really going to go in and want to speak to the players about? Why can't we close out games? You know, you had a, a comfortable enough lead. You thought you were going to kick on quite easily, but teams get back into the game. Yeah, definitely. As I've said it before, it's a pattern with us, and uh, it's up to us as a management and a squad to try and work that out. But um, look, I say we have a couple of weeks to, to at least try and uh, address it anyway. Yeah, and at half time, you were two points clear. You came out, had a really good start to the second half. So it was a lot of positives in there. It looked very comfortable going forward, too. Yeah, I think up top we looked decent, but uh, we just weren't getting our usual press or squeeze on and guys, and, and, and they were quite comfortable on the ball, which left us under pressure at the back. So, um, yeah, overall, you know delighted but plenty to work on and David Moore in midfield for Cairns O'Reilly's he was brilliant throughout the game especially in that first half you know he was clean catching a lot of ball from kick outs but in the second half you you changed markers on him and I think that probably helped things for you yeah we stuck as good as we have Rory O'Carroll on to him and Rory tried to maul him and do as he do and, and, and try and break ball away from but Moran's phenomenal like he's just when you see him up close obviously I haven't seen him like that before but he's he's he's, he's some beast of a of a player to catch a ball a, a brilliant talent and, and he's been some some player for Kerry down through the years 
your hot favourites coming into the game but I suppose when you look at that Kerry team you know the amount of Kerry players they have on it and former players as well they're no strangers to Crow Park so I suppose you knew yourself what challenge they will possess Oh yeah absolutely again the lads never look at the odds I suppose the management were always aware of, of, of where they're trying to pitch it but it was again all in semi-final you're going to have two good teams in it and uh, with the bit of pedigree and history they have through them it wasn't a surprise that it was as close as it was in the end you know and we didn't see Paul Mannion out there today. He did warm up. He was taking a few shots there early on, um, but didn't come on. Was it the plan to, to bring him on? Was it something in the warm-up, or did you always have the plan? He wasn't ready. Yeah, we felt like he's close. There's no doubt about it. He's close, and he's 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 been in with Dublin doing a little bit as well, and, and they're monitoring him as well. So he's he's getting there, but whether whether two weeks is enough to get him where he needs to be, we'll, we'll have to see. But... Um, you know, to have him, have him back here considering he missed a big day last year I think is testament to him so hopefully fingers crossed Absolutely. and Shane Walsh as well is all okay with him he didn't have I suppose as big a game as he normally has um, still very influential Was did he have a niggle or anything like that? He picked up a little bit of a knock but I don't think it's anything, anything serious hopefully anyway but we'll get the medical team to look at him but no I think he should be okay Yeah. and my final question how much of last year has played on your mind. I think I heard you there talking about a screensaver. Yeah, who <laughs> are my screensaver? They've been since about a week after the All Ireland. But um, yeah, I think like we. I think we said it before. We went away on holiday in April, I think it was, and we, we certainly drew a line under the sand after a few mad days, and uh, that helped us hugely in, in in trying to you know stop and, and go again. And as I said I didn't think we'd be here, but luckily we are, and we'll have a go in a couple of weeks. And what is the picture of the screensaver? It's Mickey and the two lads with the with the cup up at the top of the steps. So. Um, yeah, I probably should take it off, but <laughs> in a couple of weeks, see. maybe I'll be changed after Glenn and we could have doing it, but look, we're back there and that was a big oh, test for us. Hope not, yeah, 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 yeah. That's very funny stuff indeed. That's uh, Kenwell Crook Croak's boss, Raleigh Brennan, there talking about uh, the win over Ken's rallies and his phone screensaver, which has provided him with motivation uh, all year. Um, a full-time report um, from City and Chelsea in the FA Cup. Graham Potter is under so much pressure there as um, Chelsea boss. He was taking pot shots, <laughs> if you pardon the dreadful dreadful pun um, at the media yesterday um, <laughs> one of the um, questions uh, stupid yesterday and look when you start attacking the media in pre-match press conferences it doesn't look like it's going to last uh, too long for him they're not playing very very well they're being well beaten everywhere they go and now taken apart by Man City today in the FA Cup third round Joe Rawson has the story of the game Manchester City march into the fourth round of the FA Cup with a comfortable 4-0 victory over struggling Chelsea. Rian Mores got the first of his two goals to open the scoring. A stunning 25-yard free kick into the top corner. Julian Alvarez added a second from the penalty spot after Kai Havertz bizarrely handled in the box. The third was a superbly worked team move finished by Phil Foden. And Mores got his second of the game, another spot kick this time after a foul by Kaladu Koulibaly. The six time winners will play Arsenal or Oxford next. As for Chelsea, well, they've now lost five of their last seven and the pressure continues to ramp up on manager Graham Potter. Full time here at the Etihad Stadium, Manchester City 4, Chelsea 0. All right. Um, if if you've um, you were obviously watching the World Cup before Christmas, and um, there was an excellent documentary um, about FIFA on Netflix called FIFA Uncovered, a four-part limited series. 
Um, that's it's streaming now. It's garnered rave reviews since its release. It takes a, a very candid look at the origins of the organisation, its many controversies, and focuses on the Qatar World Cup. And it speaks to some of the biggest names in the game. And Sepp Blatter is certainly one of them. Miles Coleman is the producer and writer of the show. Um, I spoke to him um, just before Christmas, just before the World Cup final. Uh, he joined me to discuss the origins of the show, how it was made, and whether or not FIFA, in its current guise, is beyond saving. All right, delighted to be joined on the line now by Miles Coleman, the producer and writer of FIFA Uncovered, the four-part series streaming now on Netflix, which has been released to to rave reviews, The Guardian Guardian calling it uh, basically a crime thriller. Uh, Miles, you must be delighted with the reaction the documentary has gotten first off. Yeah, very, very happy. It's funny you mentioned that Guardian review. Some people have said it's left stuff up and the Guardian said, oh, it was a bit too long, <laughs> which, you know, pick a side, guys. No, I've been really happy with the with the response. It's been, it's been really like, gratifying to hear. I know it's gone to top 10 in a bunch of countries, including Ireland, also including Qatar. It's great to hear that it's making uh, making waves in Qatar itself. But no, I like... As a football fan, I know that the topic of governance of football is not necessarily the sexiest. So it's really great to hear that football fans are engaging with the documentary and saying things like, you know, gee, I didn't know that this was happening under our noses, but having watched this, I'm going to pay more attention in the future. That's honestly, that's the nicest feedback we can hear. Um, a lot of people have struggled with this World Cup um, on a conscience level, I suppose, that the fact it's in Qatar and all the controversies that have gone uh, with that, have you found that the documentaries help people, I suppose, contextualise the, the World Cup and help them to, I suppose, ease their conscience a little bit? I think what we try to do, what we try to set out to do as filmmakers is not proselytise and not stand on a soapbox and say, we know better than all of you and we're going to tell you what to think. What we wanted to do and, and what our mission was was to lay out all of the facts, to lay out the timeline of FIFA as it happened. So that goes back to the founding of the organisation all the way through to the presidencies of Charles Havelange and Blatter, all the way up to the Qatar vote, all the way up to today. What we wanted to do is lay out that timeline, hear it from, in the words of the people who were in the room. So, you know, people that you may not agree with, but but give them giving their version of events and their words, giving them a platform to speak, and then giving audiences basically the tools and the information to make the decisions for themselves. Now, if people come away from that and go, do you know what? this isn't as bad as I thought it was, or if they go away and think, right, I'm boycotting this World Cup, that's up to them. Yeah. Um, personally, I'm watching the the, the games, but um, I think the most important thing is just everyone to be on the same page, like information-wise. Can you talk to me, I suppose, Miles, about the oranges, origins of the project and I suppose how long it's taken to, to, to get to this stage? The origins of the project basically kind of I think every football fan, myself included, always had this gut feeling that FIFA wasn't really looking after the game and wasn't managing itself in the way that we as football fans wanted it to be managed. But 2015, when there are those dramatic arrests, that's the start of our documentary, literally. That's the first thing you see in episode one. Uh, so no spoilers there. But it's also the start of like when I think the, the team behind this wanted to start making this project, wanted to start putting it together. And then we also knew that we were building up to 2022, which was going to be the most spoken about World Cup in terms of the off-pitch events ever. So we had this sort of, you know, from that 2015 to 2022, we had this kind of window to make this. And the actual documentary itself took about three and a half years to put together, three and a half, four years, of which a lot of that was down to, you know, we were making this during COVID. Mm. So in some ways that made things harder in some ways it made things easier a lot of these people that we wanted to talk to super busy individuals high profile business people etc were stuck at home like the rest of us so we had time to get on the phone with them uh, get to know them a little better and sort of I guess build that relationship that allowed them to speak on camera 
and there are quite a lot of big, big names in this documentary. Sepp Blatter, I suppose, is the centre of it. Everything kind of rotates, revolves around him. I mean, like, what's the process like of going to people like this and, and convincing them to, to be in your documentary? It, it varies for everyone. Um, so I spoke to about three to 400 people off the record and on the record for this, like just getting to know that world, building up what it was like to be a reporter in that world, but also what it was like to work at FIFA. And of those three, 400 people, only about a hundred or so actually sat for interviews, either because we got to know them and felt they weren't right or they didn't want to, or, you know, a myriad of reasons of the hundred or so who did interviews, maybe about 40 actually appear in the final cut. You know, we don't come in with the script. So you never know until you sit down with that person on the day what it's going to be like. And that process is different from everyone. Some people required years of relationship and trust building in order to sit with us and feel comfortable. Others were very ready to speak. And there were people who massively surprised us. To give one example, Mohammed bin Hammam, who appears in the documentary, who was a Qatari football executive, is a Qatari football executive, but people speak about him in the past tense in football because he sort of, he tried to take on Blatter, missed his shot, and now he's in football exile. He'd not given a any real interviews for about 11 years, certainly not to foreign media. Um, But he agreed to speak with us, which was, um, from a filmmaking perspective, fantastic because he has one of the most unique voices in football. And I also think that when people in football watch the show and realise that Mohammed bin Hammam is there, they go, okay, these guys really did their homework. And, And that gives us the kind of the credibility to spread our message. Um, Were you surprised that Sepp Blatter agreed to do the documentary? Um, honestly, no. Honestly, no. I, I've the the metaphor I've used before is that giving Blatter a camera is like giving a carpenter a hammer. Blatter is an unbelievable politician. He's got the gift of the gab, and he made his career by talking. He has no interest in not talking to anyone ever. Um, he is convinced in his ability, even now with his advancing years to be able to charm people and to be able to win people round. And it doesn't matter if he's speaking to an audience of one. You know, and and it doesn't matter if that one is the king or or whoever, and it doesn't matter if he's speaking to an audience of thousands. He really backs himself to be able to put across his message, and his message today is: I did nothing wrong. My administration was better than people are giving it credit for, and I'm still beloved uh, in many parts of the world, just not in Europe. And again, I will leave it up to audiences to decide whether they believe those that message. But you know, to answer your question. I wasn't as surprised as people might think to to hear that Blatter wanted to do the interview simply because, and also he's got very little to lose. You know, it's not like he's got a role in football. If anything, he, he thinks football owes him one, basically. Yeah, he um, recently said that giving the World Cup to Qatar was a mistake. I mean, like, what's his motivation there? Is he just trying to distance himself, for, for want of a better word, the shit show that he has created? I mean, what's incredible about that? as a take is he sits down and tells the story to our cameras for the first time. This was, um, and I'm not bigging us up here because he sort of told the story willingly, but it was an exclusive for us where he told the story that Mohammed bin Hammam, the Qatari executive I mentioned, um, took on Blatter. Bin Hammam said, I'm going to, emboldened by the fact that Qatar had won the right to the host World Cup, bin Hammam started thinking, well, you know, I've clearly got a lot of power here. Why don't I take a run at Blatter? I think I can win this. And Blatter started making all these noises about Qatar not being suitable to host the World Cup. And the story that Blatter told our cameras, which had never been confirmed by Blatter before, is that Blatter called a meeting between Bin Hammam and the son of the Emir of Qatar, who is now the Emir of Qatar. And what those three agreed was that if Bin Hammam stepped down his candidacy, withdrew his candidacy, stopped challenging Blatter, 
Blatter would in return stop questioning the legitimacy of Qatar to host the World Cup. They made this agreement, the World Cup stays in Qatar. And what's incredible about that is, is Blatter goes out and says, you know, in 2022, oh, it was a mistake. But hang on a minute, you just told us that in 2012, you made this deal to keep the World Cup in, in Qatar, not because you thought Qatar was the best place to host the World Cup, but 100% exclusively to keep power in your organisation. Mm. So it's just really merely mouths. It, it's it's hypocritical. And it's, it is peak blatter, it's pure blatter, saying one thing one day, changing his mind, flip-flopping and doing another. And if anyone's looking at the current FIFA flip-flops and thinking, wow, where did that come from as a, as a legacy? It's kind of been woven into the history of FIFA ever since Blatter. It certainly has. What was your reaction actually when um, the when Blatter's standing on stage and he takes out the envelope that says that Qatar is going to get the 2022 World Cup? Because I just laughed and shook my head and I was like, this is classic FIFA. This has nothing to do with football. I mean, I'll tell you what, at that point, I was at, I was in university and I wanted to work in documentaries. And my first thought was, I don't forget to make a documentary about this one day. <laughs> so I guess I did. Um, I mean, I just, I, I think if you, what what I hope that we do in our documentary is we, we transport people's minds back into what it was like at, at that moment. At that moment, Qatar running for it was, you know, it was like Saudi running for the Winter Olympics, which is also happening, but also seems equally laughable and risible. And nobody imagined that, that that bid was serious. And the Qataris even tell us in our documentary, we didn't think we were going to win. The Qataris say that. We knew we were the underdogs and we had to bite tooth and nail to get this here. But I think also when I saw that come out of the envelope, I just remember thinking this could be the end of FIFA as we know it. And, and it turns out that's what Jerome Valk was thinking on the stage. This is what everyone in that auditorium was thinking, that FIFA in that moment crossed the Rubicon and there was no coming back for it. And that was a Blatter thought. Remember, Blatter didn't want the World Cup to go to Qatar. He wanted it to go to the US. He wanted Russia to get 2018. He wanted US to get 2022. And he would be seen as this global statesman who united the two powers of the Cold War and, hey, presto, Nobel Peace Prize. So when he saw Qatar, he also thought, I'm in trouble here. Yeah, it's one of those moments I just, I, I remember just shaking my head and I was like, I can't believe this is going to a tiny country with no existing infrastructure. It just smacked of corruption to me. And I suppose, it, has it been proven, I suppose, that Qatar getting the World Cup has, has been corrupt? You're asking a question that could get us both very sued <laughs> and very taken off air. So let me pick my words carefully. FIFA had an quote-unquote independent investigation. FIFA appointed a lawyer, they paid that lawyer to do an investigation into the bidding process. The Russians said, sorry, fellas, we actually leased all the computers with all the evidence on. We've given them back to the company we rented them from. They've wiped the hard drive, so we have no evidence. Apologies. And FIFA and the lawyer went, okay, fair enough. I can't subpoena you. That's the end of that. Qatar cooperated with that investigation and willingly admitted to certain things that certainly, to me, seem like conflicts of interest like they would have been against FIFA statutes. But ultimately that report said, and again, bear in mind that this is a report that was commissioned by FIFA, said, no, there was nothing worth stripping Qatar of the World Cup over here. We didn't find anything too terrible. Then the author of the report, a guy called Michael Garcia, heard about a summary of the report that was being released and stepped down and just said, no, 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 this is not what I found at all. So this whole report and this whole independent report was a mess. What the FBI have gone in and done is they've had a look at the money that was being exchanged during FIFA and they've linked certain payments 
to votes for the World Cup. But this is where we get into the gray area. Even though there are certain things that, you know, you, you put the evidence side by side and you say this person was paid X amount of money. This deal was done between this government and Qatar. No one has ever said, aha, I have the smoking gun. The World Cup was corruptly organized and and we need to take it away or, or there needs to be some kind of restitution. And what our documentary tries to do is just show this timeline of events and ask people to make up their own mind. But if I was to stand up here and say the World Cup was corruptly awarded, mm-hmm. as it stands today in a court of law, I'd be able, I, the Qatari government could sue me and could sue you too, I suppose, for saying that because that's never been proven. I'm not saying I believe it one way or another. I'm saying that's what the facts are as established by FIFA's quote-unquote independent committee and by courts of law. Um, just on people taking on Blatter, um, the 1998 presidential election was a, a huge, I suppose, sliding doors moment when he came up against Leonard Johansson. Johansson kind of um, running on a transparency ticket and he was he was roundly defeated. Blatter just promised more of the same and people went for it. That was a huge moment in the organisation's history. Massive. And one that I think has sort of a little been lost to the sands of time historically. But when you talk to people within FIFA and people who personally are considered to be on the side of reform in FIFA, they look at that and they kick themselves and they go, we cannot believe this got away from us. And there are all kinds of stories about envelopes of cash in being slid under hotel doors the morning of that vote. Again, people have come forward. No one's ever found that cash envelope. But I suppose, however, you know, how could that really happen? But this is a massive sliding doors moment. And for me, one of the most emotional parts that you can see in the archive that when Johansson loses, there are tears in his eyes because he knows he's been betrayed by people he trusted. And I think he knows that football's going to go down a very dark road. And he's right. And he was right to have been emotional. And I suppose one of the reasons we included that and made such a prominent part of it is because football might have another sliding doors moment again. There might be another moment where this shouldn't be repeated where history should not repeat itself where I hope we learn from that uh, 1998 episode Is um, FIFA beyond saving me? Like, what's the future of the organisation? I don't think it's beyond saving you know okay like, look, you know, let me put my cards on the table and say I didn't like Donald Trump as a president mm. it doesn't mean the US presidency as an as a institution is beyond saving because we've had a lousy president or some might argue several lousy presidents I think FIFA itself as an organization can quite easily, could overnight return to just being about the good of the game, making sure kids around the world can play the sport, making sure that everyone has equal access to it, men, women, old, young, gay, straight. There is a world where FIFA could return to that, but it's it's become too powerful. Let me give you an example of this, an example that just blows my mind to this day. In the history of, of kind of diplomacy, there have only ever been two buildings in the world, physical buildings with diplomatic immunity that aren't embassies. So full-on diplomatic immunity. That's the headquarters of Conmebol in South America and the headquarters of CAF, the African Football Confederation in Africa, in Cairo. So FIFA operates like a state. Its, its subdivisions have actual diplomatic immunity. You could butcher someone in, that, in the basement of that building in Cairo and not go to jail because it has full-on diplomatic immunity. Why it needs it, beyond me. So if we're talking about an organization that has managed to insinuate itself at that level of global politics, why would it give it up? Why would it step down that level of power? Why would it voluntarily, you know, handcuff itself to further, you know, checks and balances? That's the big question. And it would take a really brave person to lead FIFA and do that. I don't see it happening overnight. 
Totally Be good. <laughs> Maybe. All right, well, it's been a pleasure talking to you. FIFA Uncovered is streaming now on Netflix. Be sure and check it out. Absolutely engrossing stuff, Miles. An absolute pleasure talking to you today. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate that, man. Yeah, really good to chat to uh, Miles Coleman there. He is uh, the producer uh, and writer of FIFA Uncovered, which is on Netflix. It is an engrossing watch. I would certainly recommend uh, watching that. Uh, just before we wrap up, we are um, delighted to confirm that starting on the Big Red Bench next weekend, we will be broadcasting a special series called Hear Me Roar with Cork GA legend Valerie McCarry. Valerie will be talking to inspiring athletes about their careers and their lives starting next week with uh, former professional golfer Lisa McGuire. We'll also hear from Sunita Pusprey, uh, Nikki Daly, Breach Corkery and Louise Shanahan. So the first episode will air next Saturday uh, with Lisa McGuire. I spoke to Valerie, a 10-time All-Ireland winner, about the process of her becoming an interviewer earlier on this week. Okay, I am delighted to be joined by 10-time All-Ireland winner, six-time All-Star and now... Corks with FM presenter Valerie Mulcahy. Valerie, how are you? Very good. Thanks for having me. Uh, very welcome along. Welcome aboard to part of the uh, the Red FM team. Um, tell us, um, we are launching a new podcast series called Hear Me Roar, which uh, the first episode of which is going to air next Sunday. Can you tell us, I suppose, how you got involved with the project and what you thought of it? And I suppose the, the process, I suppose, in, in, in coming up with it. Yeah, well... Um I love chatting to people. I love getting to know people's stories and especially athletes and athletes from different sporting backgrounds mm. to me. So um, when I got asked to present the podcast, I definitely thought it was a, something that was a good fit for me. Mm. And um, it's a delighted to be on board for Red FM and getting really, really intriguing people um, to interview. So mm. I found the process uh difference yeah from being from like going from being interviewed all the time to now posing the questions you know trying to let things flow and then just listening to their answers while also at the same time I guess trying to be prepared for the next question but but yeah my whole aim was trying to let things flow and maybe have my main overarching um, thoughts and themes come to the fore yeah this has uh, been a, a long time in the making and for um, a big part for us was finding the right presenter for it and who better than the 10 time All-Ireland winner um, like you've reached the pinnacle of your sport how have you found talking to other athletes who've reached the pinnacle of their sport and what common ground do you have with an athlete that has nothing in common with you basically I think there's actually quite a lot of similarities there um, and I think it allows for a nice chat because I think, you know, whoever I'm uh, speaking to um, is just, I guess, comfortable maybe. And I think we shared a lot of common ground. Well, all sports are different. I think there's a lot um, that kind of runs through each of them. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, I think things that are interesting was like how, say, Lisa stepped away from professional sport, how she decided that wasn't for her. When I suppose in sport, we're always telling people to keep going, keep pushing, keep going. But, I think that was a really admirable and brave thing to do to actually go, do you know what, this isn't for me or I'm not going to pursue this just for the sake of it. Mm, I'd go from being interviewed to being the host and interviewing um, was quite different, but I do enjoy talking to people and getting to know their stories and and I'm always intrigued by people. So it was an added bonus that they were athletes and I I really enjoyed seeing what made them take what, what kept them going and I suppose their perseverance and, and the characteristics that as people that allow them to, to reveal themselves as athletes and to, to make it and I guess all of them shared a story that mm. it's not easy getting to the top and you know I knew that but I don't think all 
people who watch athletes really understand the hardships they mm-hmm. go through, the challenges that they have to overcome and the obstacles that are in their way, but also the ones that are in their head or what they're telling themselves or, you know, the psychology around things. So um, I really enjoyed the chats and I found it, um, I, I found kind of just digging a bit deeper, diving deeper into their stories was was really enlightening and I was very privileged to be in that position. Mm. We have a number of um, excellent guests coming up over the next number of weeks. Um, you talk us through who we've got. So we've got Lisa McGuire coming up. Um, Lisa has done amazingly well with the professional golf. Um, as I said, stepped back from it and now just plays casually. Uh, we've Louise Shannon, who's a sprinter from Cork, um, has been to the Olympics, you know, has a great story with how she, like she was at a plateau with her time frame for a long time when she was running. So it took her it took her nearly three years or so to, to actually make grounds and for many people they'd actually retire but um, she persisted and, and saw the gains when they did come uh, we've Sunita Prospore who is an incredible athlete and rower and you know has really has really done so well being a mother as well like mm-hmm. and, and the challenges that brings and the story she has about like the decisions she had to make when trying to, to get funding and that was was kind of phenomenal really and with Nikki Daly an Olympic again a hockey player for Ireland and that Olympic actually, story was incredible and that that World Cup story was incredible that that Irish team went on yeah that World Cup but they really seemed to enjoy it and just savour it and, and understand that, that it was something rare them getting enjoying the process and then when they get to the final they still managed to mm. enjoy it and understood they were up against the Netherlands who are the greatest hockey team yeah. you know in the world so um, yeah interesting to see how they they were able to to bring their characters to the fore and just to uh-huh. take pleasure in it and enjoy it I suppose you've done like so many interviews over your career hundreds if not thousands I'd say at this point I mean like you're obviously well aware of like what questions to ask that you would want to be asked as an athlete but also to avoid I suppose the, um, the stereotypical basic questions I suppose that you probably would have been asked quite a lot in interviews yeah, I think it's important to also listen or to listen to the listeners or to, to think about them and what, what they maybe don't know. Mm. So to give the kind of context, but then, yeah, ask the questions that, um, you know, really get them, the athletes thinking. And, you know, even thinking of Sunita when she did the interview, I was looking at her and she was tearful at one stage because of the, I suppose, the scars mm. that, that her different um, Olympics had brought to her and... Uh, it's it's a privileged position to be in and I just yeah I really enjoyed sitting down one on one with each and every one of them and they're very different but equally interesting characters and I love learning more about the sports even <laughs> yeah. you know and asking them those questions um, so yeah it's been it's been a nice process yeah it's been fun and uh, incredible music as well by an incredibly talented uh, artist that you'll hear at the top of the show yeah Jack O'Rourke um, amazing artist and so talented and you know works really hard as well and he's a great friend and he's actually a colleague of mine as well so yeah. it was nice to um, have him in and be part of it because um, I like to showcase uh you know, great talent and Cork talent at that. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, this is your kind of, I suppose, debut as a, a presenter. Have you enjoyed the process and would you do it again? I have enjoyed the process, yeah. Um, it's been it's been a good learning curve for me. It's been very interesting. I've really liked sitting down with people and, and having this, the chats and stories and, you know, diving a bit deeper into their stories and, 
yeah, it's something I, I do enjoy and I definitely would do it again if I had the opportunity. <laughs> we'll see what we Here's can a do. plug. <laughs> Valerie, an absolute pleasure. Congratulations on the series. It's uh, really, really, really good. And I'm looking forward to listeners uh, hearing it starting next week with uh, Lisa McGuire. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to uh, the uh, opening episode of uh, Him We Roar with uh, Cork GA legend Valerie Mulcahy starting next Sunday here on the Big Red Bench. It's very, very interesting. It's a fantastic series and I've had a ball working on it with Valerie. So I'm really looking forward to hearing it starting next Sunday. But that's it from us. Um, we are back uh, next weekend, Saturday and Sunday from 6. Podcast available, redfm.ie or from wherever you get your podcast from. The wonderful Mags Blackburn in On Green and Red with three hours of the best Irish music coming your way between 7 and 10. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday night, folks.